Uh, look with me into the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 18. Word of God says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. Amen. All right, the Word of God says here, Verse 17, uh, verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God, amen? amen? You know, before we confess Jesus as Lord, when we were living in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our body, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 3, that we were by nature children of of wrath, objects of God's anger. But because of God's rich mercy and great love, God sent His Son to suffer and die on the cross, raised Him from the dead, and then sent His Spirit into our bodies so that our nature was transformed. Hallelujah. From children of wrath to become children of God. Somebody say, I'm a child of God. You know, it's great to be a child of God. It is wonderful to be a child of God because as His children, we don't ever have to fear being abandoned. You know, there are some people in the body of Christ who are very smart and they study their Bible, but they believe that a person can lose their salvation. And maybe that's where you stand and if that's how you read the Bible, God bless you. God bless you. But I personally, I do not believe in such a doctrine. I believe in, instead in a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. I believe that if you're truly saved, you can never get unsaved. Once you are saved by God, God cannot fail to bring you home. No matter how badly you backslide, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how many lies or cults or whatever you're led astray into, if the grace of God has worked inside your heart to regenerate you into new life, that cannot be taken away. Once you are a child of God, you are always a child of God. That's what I believe. Some people call it Calvinism. You can call it whatever you want. I want to always mention Calvinism when I come here. <laughs> anyway, it's great because as His children, we don't ever have to fear being abandoned. The Word of God promises, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And in Campus Crusade, when we lead a college student to Christ, I used to be on staff with Campus Crusade for six, seven years. When we lead somebody to Christ, we will go through um, part of the four spiritual, uh, four spiritual Laws booklet, which is a booklet we use to evangelize. On the back of the booklet, after you lead somebody to Christ, there's a section you can lead them through to give them assurance of their salvation. And then we will always quote Hebrews 13, 5. And we will say, the word of God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
So if this is true of you, since you just became a Christian, how many times do you have to receive Christ into your life? And then we will have to wait for the answer once. You know? And uh, because once you become a Christian, you don't have to receive Christ over and over again. The Spirit of God comes in you like a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Once you have everlasting life, the everlasting life cannot be taken away. You cannot be separated from the love of God, no matter what happens in your life for the rest of your life. Now, we don't ever have to fear being abandoned. But the way that Satan attacks our identity as a child of God is whenever something bad happens, he whispers into our ears, look at this, look at what happened. God doesn't love you. God has forsaken you. He's forgotten about you. You better go and you better provide for your own self. You better go and you better take control, of your, uh, control into your own hands. Because obviously God has forsaken you. And, he, and the devil comes with all these lies. And it's when we come in agreement with these lies, we open a door for the spirit of fear to come in. Let me tell you something about how the spirit of fear works in people's lives. Once you let a spirit of fear into your life, that spirit of fear will seek to control and dominate every aspect of your life. But you see, when there is fear in your heart, when there is fear in your heart, you will not be able to live by faith. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. If you want to live a life that pleases God and you, you want to be connected to His plans and purposes for your life, you need to live a life of faith. But you see, when the spirit of fear gets in, it starts to dominate every aspect of your life. And put so much fear into your heart, there's no room for faith to dwell. You know, the, 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 theme, the theme of this year, 2010, for New Philadelphia Church at both campuses, the theme of this year is epic faith. That this is the year of epic faith. This is the year in which God's going to stretch us, challenge us, and increase our faith. So that by the same time next year, we're able to take bigger steps, bolder steps, we're able to trust God for bigger dreams than the things that we see and, and are expecting of right now. It's the year of epic faith. But when the spirit of fear gets in there, it starts to crowd out all space for faith uh, to dwell. And you may know your identity as a child of God, but when you f let fear dominate your life, you will never experience that identity as a child of God. So when bad or unexpected things happen, brothers and sisters, we must reject the whispers of the enemy. Amen? We must come in greater agreement with the Word of God. And the Word of God promises us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So when bad things happen, when unexpected things happen, when the economy drops and you lose your job, or the Korean government, the immigration office is trying to revoke your visa, make you go to Japan three times, I don't care what's going on in your life, you got to come in agreement with the Word of God. Lord, my circumstances, my situations, they might be... Hard, they might be bad right now, but I know that you are still good. I know that your word is still true. And I know that you will never leave me. So God, I'm going to stay close to you. I'm going to stay close to you because when I stay close to you, I'm going to be close to my breakthrough. This is temporary. This, this will not stay. And you will turn this around for my good. You come in agreement with the word of God. It's great to be a child of God. Amen. Amen. It's great because he'll never leave us. Also, as children of God, we can be confident that all of our needs will be met and provided for. The Word of God says in Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now am old, 
Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. I have not seen his children begging for bread. Okay, what are we mute over here? Come on, everybody. I have not seen his children begging for bread. All right. You know, Christianity is called the great confession. It's important sometimes when we do this stuff like that. You confess along with everybody else. Unless you have a really, really bad sore throat, then God bless you. Right, it's good to confess it. Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. That faith is there, then let it, let it be expressed and let it be solidified, established in your life. So that not only do you think it and believe it, but you walk in it. Psalm 37 says, I have not ever seen his children begging for bread. You know, have you ever observed a three-year-old, two-year-old child in the presence of good parents? You ever see a child being taken care of by good parents? You would... You will notice that that child has nothing to worry about in the world. The child is confident that when he's hungry, he's going to get fed. When he needs to change of clothes, he's going to get something new to wear. That child, you don't ever see him sitting there worrying about his next meal. Because a child gets provided for. Just The child doesn't have to do anything. The, the child doesn't have to do the chores. The child does not have to speak encouraging words to you. The child just needs to be a child and the child gets provided for. Uh, well, what's true of little children that we see is also true in our relationship with God. As you consider how good parents on earth treat their children, imagine how a perfect father in heaven will take care of his children. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. If you've ever feared... That if you do not do enough, or if you get lazy, or, or something, that you will end up on the streets begging for bread. I want you to get that picture out of your mind. Because as a child of God, God will not let that happen to you. You trust in Him, you identify with Him. He will not allow His children to be on the streets begging for bread. Hallelujah. Jesus commanded us actually to not worry. He said, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Look how God takes care of them. They don't spin, they don't toil, they don't labor. And God takes care of all of them. How much more will God take care of you? And Jesus said something interesting. He said, the godless seek after all of these things. And your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. God knows all your needs. God knows all your needs. And He will provide for all your needs. If you will continue to trust and identify yourself as a child of God. You know, I don't like babies. I don't like babies. Because I'm a choleric. I'm a goal-oriented person, and I like people that contribute to society. So I don't, I don't like babies, because babies make absolutely no contribution to society. All babies do is be a baby. They just cry, they whine, 
They're, they're just be, they're babies. They're all they do. And the amazing thing is, all the baby does is be a baby and all the ne- baby's needs get met. How amazing is that? Isn't that, a, isn't that pretty amazing? The baby doesn't do nothing. Doesn't work 20 hours a week. But the baby's needs get met. And there's a lot we can learn from watching a baby. When the economy goes south, or you lose your job, or you face some un- uh, difficulty or sickness in the family or something, we've got to stop getting so stressed out about that stuff. We've got to learn to trust God's word and just be a child. Just be a child, and God will make sure all your needs get met. You don't have to worry about, oh no, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I, how am I, how am I going to find another job? You know, because when you get in that state, guess what? You let the door open for fear. And once you let fear in, you start making bad decisions. When you make bad decisions and you get bound down to some bad decisions, some of those decisions will set you back months or even years. You don't want to put yourself in that position. You want to walk by faith. You want to discern the good and pleasing and perfect will of God and say yes to it and walk in it and live in it. But a lot of people, they get stressed out. They let fear in. And then they start making poor decisions. Decisions of the flesh. Decisions of fear. Where they're reacting to a situation rather than responding to the revelation of God. There's a lot we can learn from a baby. Whatever happens in your life. Just chill. Be a baby. Be a child. God's going to make sure all your needs get met. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When you are in a time of need, the Bible tells us two things. Number one, you are a child of God, so don't worry. And number two, approach the Lord for help. Okay? When you're in a time of need, the Bible just tells us these two things. You're a child of God, so don't worry. And second, approach the Lord for help. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, present your requests to God. Approach the Lord for help. Philipp- uh, Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you in a time of need? Well, first of all, don't worry. You're a child of God. And second, approach the Lord for help. He's going to help you in your time of need. You know, how we get into trouble is when we don't approach the Lord for help, we start to approach me for help. I, you approach you for help. Or you approach your friends for help, and then they, they, they disappoint you. Or you approach your family for help, when you need to approach the Lord first for help. You see, all you singles here, God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Your future dream spouse is not going to be able to meet all your needs. Let's give you the rude awakening now. They might meet some of your needs and they will be very selective in meeting whichever, which needs that they want. All right. What you will realize is your spouse cannot meet all your needs. God alone can. So you go to God. 
You go to God. Whatever, you, whatever, when you're in a time of need, approach the throne of grace with confidence. So to sum it up, it's great to be a child of God because our loving Father, He makes sure that all of our needs, they get met. Now, right now, I want to go back to the original passage and I want to pull out the main theme of what I want to talk about today. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So let's stop right there. The NIV translation says, co-heirs with Christ. The King James Version says, joint heirs with Christ. I like co-heirs with Christ. So I want to look at this theme today. We just looked at our identity as children of God, but this passage is telling us that because we are children, we are also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now I want to focus today on being a co-heir with Christ. I want you to turn to your neighbor tell him that right now. You are a co-heir with Christ. Come on. Come on, Matt. Tell, tell somebody behind you. You're a co-heir with Christ. You're a co-heir with Christ. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Being a co-heir with Christ. Some people think that being a co-heir with Christ simply means receiving a future inheritance of salvation. Receiving a glorified body like Jesus God. Uh, receiving everlasting life. There's some people that believe that being a co-heir with Christ identifies us with a future hope that gives us the uh, perseverance to endure for today. And some people think that this is what being a co-heir with Christ is all about. It's something that we look forward to that gives us hope and perseverance to endure today. But I believe that being a co-heir with Christ involves much more than that. I believe that being a co-heir with Christ means that whatever Christ had on earth, you can also have. I got one amen. Say that again. I believe that being a co-heir with Christ means that whatever Christ had on earth, you can also have. Hallelujah. And what did Christ have on earth? Christ had access to the anointing power of the Holy Spirit for healings and miracles. How would you like to have access to that? I know we're experiencing trickles of it. And when we go on missions, we see a lot of it. But how would you like to be able to access that? Whatever you want. Access that anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Christ also had access to prophetic words of knowledge. Of revelation. He was a bold discerner of the spirits of men. Like he, would, he would just be here and then... Uh, and then the Pharisees will be over there where Diana and Cassandra are sitting. Not that they're Pharisees, but and then Jesus will be here and the Pharisees will be there. And they'll just be like, they'll just be like, can you believe what he just said? And they're just whispering to themselves. And Jesus will be like, he'll, he'll, he'll be teaching them crowds and all of a sudden he'll be like, why are you thinking that? And Pharisees will be like, whoa, stop doing that, Jesus. Because he was a bold discerner of the spirits of men. Because he had access to revelation. 
He will flow in the words of knowledge. It will just come. Christ also had access to the unlimited resources of heaven. Including telling the storms to stop and walking on water. I mean, Jesus is Lord over all. Amen. I mean, he tells the water, hey, I'm walking on you right now. And you will obey me. He just walks on the water. Pretends he's going to pass by the boat. He's walking on water. Like it's just, it's just like the most natural thing to do. Right? He, he, was, he, he had access to these incredible resources of heaven. Because you see, in, in heaven, it wor- physics works different in heaven. Time and space, will it'll mess you up. If you under- I don't even know how it really works. But all I know is I mean, things that we understand and, and that are ordered here, they're not the same order in heaven. Anyway, just getting back to what did Christ do on earth? What did he have on earth? He had access to all these amazing, miraculous powers, revelations, and resources. And what the Bible is telling us is by declaring that we are co-heirs with Christ, the Bible is telling us that we have access to the same inheritance that Jesus carried while he was on the earth. You know, Jesus said this. He said, John 14, 12, I'll tell you the truth. Whoever has faith in me will do the same things I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So if we are to do the same things Jesus did, we're going to need the same access to His inheritance that Jesus had. If we're going to do greater things than that, man, we better have access to that inheritance. That Those things that Jesus carried, we better get with it. Or else we're not going to be able to do the things He did. And this is where our identity as a co-heir comes in. We need, to, we need to see ourselves as children of God, and that's good. That's a part of our identity. But if that's all we stay at, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on God's purpose for our lives. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Each and every one of you in here, you have a calling on your life. But not everybody lives a life worthy of that calling. A lot of people live lives that are just flat, just just does not come close to the, to, the, to the worth of the call that God's put on your life. Like, I, I see a guy like William Wilberforce. He had a calling on his life. It's to end the system of, and abolish the system of slavery that was going on in England. He had a calling on his life. And William Wilberforce, you know what he used to do? He used to walk miles to the parliament. And when he would walk there, he would memorize entire chapters of the Psalms. And he'll just recite it the entire time he's walking. And he rose up and he lived a life worthy of the calling that God placed on his life. Brothers and sisters, God has put a calling in your life. He wants you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. Well, let me tell you right now, all calls that all the callings of God that have gone out to your lives, they are not ordinary. They are not natural. They're incredible. They're supernatural. They'll boggle your mind. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived of the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. God's got these amazing plans. He will do immeasurably more than you could all ask or imagine. I mean, God's got these amazing plans and calling on your life. And this chapter of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 says, In order for us to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, we must access the grace that has been apportioned to us by Christ. Ephesians 4, 7. 
And in verse 7 it says, To each and every one of us, Christ has given us grace. He ascended on high and gave gifts to men. I believe that this passage is talking about our inheritance. This grace, these gifts, is talking about our inheritance. You cannot live a life worthy of the calling you receive without accessing your inheritance as a co-heir with Christ. You cannot live a supernatural life, the life that Christ demonstrated on earth, without experiencing and tapping into your identity as a co-heir with Christ. But so many Christians, instead of tapping into the supernatural gifts and grace available in our inheritance, they only tap into their needs. Let me just speak into your hearts right now and expose perhaps things and patterns that you are experiencing right now in your, in your own Christian walk. Let me tell you right now, you cannot experience the full potential, your full potential. You will not experience the full expression of God's purpose for your life. You will never, you will always fall short of living that life unless, no, you will never, you'll always fall short of living that life if you are living your life driven by needs. If you live your life driven by need, you will not experience the full expression of God's purpose and plan for your life. Let me explain a little bit. Let's say that uh, God calls you to open up a business. You come before the Lord as a child of God and you petition the Lord about the needs you have in opening up a new business. So you say something like, Lord, I believe that you're calling me to open up this business. I need money. I need a loan. I need wisdom. Lord, I got all these needs and I pray that you will meet all my needs. Amen. And you know what? This is how a lot of us pray. We pray with this childlike heart and then we receive what we ask for. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this. The problem is, if this is the only way you pray, you will fail to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. You will live a flat life. You will live a natural, predictable, mathematical life. And I don't think this is God's will for you. Now, Jesus said, Thief comes to steal, can destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Somebody say abundant life. God does not want you to live a flat life. He wants you to live an abundant one. Abundant life. Hallelujah. And when you learn to access your inheritance as a co-heir with Christ, that is when abundant life truly begins. So if God calls you to open up a business, instead of praying as a child, asking God to meet your needs, pray instead as a co-heir with Christ accessing your inheritance. So when you pray to God from your identity as a co-heir, you access a form of God's grace called your inheritance. There's a difference. Let me tell you something right now. Inheritance cannot be accessed through your needs. Through presenting to God your needs. You will never access your inheritance via your needs. 
Because the inheritance does not go to need, it can only be accessed via your identity. And it's based on your identity as a co-heir. When you, when you can identify yourself as a co-heir with Christ, that is when you start to tap into legal access. You get a legal right to tap into the resources of heaven. You get a legal right to tap into supernatural power for supernatural provision, supernatural miracles, supernatural breakthrough. Hallelujah. It comes when you identify yourself as a co-heir with Christ. But so many people in the church today, they are trying to fulfill God's call for their lives through presenting to God their needs. They think, that, they think that just by bringing their needs to God as a child of God, that they're going to fulfill the purposes of God for their life. And, and you know what? You're not going to get anywhere like that. You see, within your inheritance, there is gloriously huge potential to influence the earth with the resources and standards of heaven. I don't know how you see the rest of your life influencing here on earth. But I'm, to, I'm here to tell you that God wants you to have an amazing impact while you're here on earth. He doesn't want you to just survive until He comes back. He doesn't want you to just get as many people saved as, 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 you, as you can, possibly can. Alright? He wants you to release the kingdom. He wants you to Stop child prostitution, human trafficking. He, he wants you, he, he may use some of you to end that in Cambodia, not through even tackling human trafficking, but through you opening up a good school. And that school becoming a model for other schools in Cambodia. And where all these young people, they had no way of income, no way to further their education. Now they have access to this school. And this school is representing and is built on the values of the, of the Word of God. And this school prospers. Because whenever you build something based on the Word of God, whether it's a school, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, it will prosper. Any secular businessman will tell you, the reason why businesses in China are failing is because of corruption. Is because of corruption. You go to any country of the world and you look at their economies. And the reason why their economy is suffering is because of corruption. You can't, you can't really do, you can't really, capitalism will not prosper without the word of God. You cannot have capitalism prosper without people trying to practice integrity. I mean, honoring their employees somewhat. I mean, if you don't have any of that, your business will not prosper. And God will make sure it doesn't prosper. Brothers and sisters, you have access to an inheritance that doesn't just provide for your needs, but takes you above and beyond any need that you even thought you had. And it brings you into your assignment. Your assignment is bigger than your need, is what I'm trying to tell you. You're just asking God, Lord, I need $1,000 this month to pay for rent. And God is like, you have an assignment that requires you to access a million dollars by next year. And you're still praying about your rent. 
Why? It's because you're so focused on need. And God is like, look, focus on the inheritance. I've given you keys to access this thing. Hallelujah. When you access your inheritance, there's a humongous potential for you to influence and, and, and expand God's dominion here on earth. Advance His kingdom here on earth. This is when life is no longer, no longer mathematical. Life becomes like quantum physics. This is when, when you start tapping into your inheritance. That's when you experience exponential growth. Accelerated breakthrough. Grand provisions. Miraculous power. It's when you tap into your inheritance. When the people of God learn to walk as co-heirs with Christ, that's when the kingdom of heaven will invade our cities and our nations. That's when we will regularly stomp on the devil and possess the gate of our enemies. It's when we learn to access our inheritance through our identity as co-heirs with Christ. Let me tell you about something, how heaven sees you. Let me, let me say something. Let me tell you about what, how your parents see you. Your parents see you. I don't. I don't know. Man. I, I don't want to be too negative. <laughs> I don't know how your parents see you, but you know how your parents see you, right? I go home and this is how my dad sees me. My dad is not Christian. He this is the way he sees me. He sees me. You're a, you're a smart young man, but you're wasting your life on this God thing. That's how he sees me. And you know what? I don't choose to see myself the way he sees me. If I did, I'll mess me up. Here's how my mom sees me. Oh, you're doing amazing works out there on the missions field. I'm glad. I'm so proud of you, son, for being a pastor. But you know what? You're still just my little son. So, you know, so, you know my mom doesn't necessarily like ask me to like lay hands on her and impart the fire of God or something like that. Because she doesn't really see me in that way. You know, as opposed to if she did see me in that way and honor me for the gifts that I have carry, I'm carrying... Maybe she'll experience that grace. And it's the same way, the way you see others. You know, like, like I can, I can um, meet, like, uh, our brother Kuhn here who's visiting us, right? And if I just see him as a college student, I'm just like, man, little Joshik, you know, just a little college student. You don't know nothing about the Bible. You know, you're not, you know, you just, you know, and if, I, if I only see him that way, and, uh, and Kuhn and I pair up and we pray, even though Kuhn's carrying an amazing anointing on his life, I will probably never experience that, that blessing from, from the grace that he's carrying. Because that's the way I see him. But instead, if I, if I recognize, man, this guy's got a prophetic anointing on him. Kiyun, I want you to pray for me right now. Because this is all these people from IHOP prophesied over me, all these people from California prophesied over me. But who knows, God may release a key prophecy through your mouth. I want you to pray for me right now. If I honor him in that way, and that's the way I see him, I'm going to be able to access a grace that's on him that he's carrying. Well, in the same way, it's very important how you see yourself. If you see yourself as a nobody, if you see yourself as just a Hagwon teacher, if you see yourself as just a as a foreigner in Korea trying to deal with all the Korean laws and ho- hoping you get your um, pension and you get your airline ticket home and that's the only way you see yourself, that's what you're going to access. But if you will begin to see yourself the way heaven sees you, when heaven sees you, 
Heaven sees you, sees you as a child of God, but not only as a child of God, heaven sees you as a warrior son with an inheritance that's got your name on it. Heaven's like, heaven's like, whoa, this is a uh, Mark's inheritance right here. Mark you. It's got Mark you. His name's on it right here. It's written in like 20 languages. Mark you. This is your inheritance. And heaven's like, Mark you. Come on, man. Access your inheritance, dude. There's so much more potential that you are carrying. There's so much grace that's got your name on it. There's so much resources. Resources of money. Resources of property. Resources of relationships that's about to be released into your life. But you're missing out because you don't see yourself that way. You just see yourself as a person just getting by through having your needs met. You're just happy and content with just paying the bills. Just getting your needs met. And heaven is saying, no, there's an incredible inheritance stored up for you. And if you will learn to walk in your identity, you will get access to the fullness of that inheritance. And you will do amazing things for the, for the work of the Lord. And you will fulfill the full expression of God's purpose for your life. You know, a lot of people, they, they say, I can't ask God for things beyond my needs. You know, I, mean, I get this all the time, man. I share my testimony. You know, let me share real quickly. Um, a few years ago, <clears throat> I wanted a guitar. I wanted a particular guitar. I wanted a Gibson songwriter. Okay, this thing cost about $3,000. Okay. And I couldn't afford it. I don't got $3,000 laying around. So I brought it to the Lord. And I said, God, and you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't ask God for it based on my need. You know why? Because I already had a guitar. I actually had a cheaper guitar that I prayed for four years before. It was a red uh, Yamaha. I don't know. It was, it was a crappy guitar. It, it wasn't a crappy guitar. It was a decent guitar. But it wasn't, it wasn't no Gibson. All right? And I, and I had prayed to the Lord about that guitar. And, 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 the, and for that guitar, I asked the Lord based on my need. I remember I was a Lord, I can't lead worship with my old electric guitar anymore. I need an acoustic guitar. I need an acoustic guitar. And I told my mentor, and Brother Michael was like, Brother, I'm coming in agreement with you right now, brother. We're going to pray about that. So after Sunday service one day, Brother Michael and I, we prayed. And we were like, Lord, Christian needs the guitar. Provide him with the guitar. Move the resources of heaven. Provide him with the guitar. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you that it's done. And we say amen. And one of the guests that came to church that Sunday, he's like, Christian, you need a guitar? Here, you can have my guitar. And Brother Michael's like, hallelujah. God has answered right away. And I was just happy to get a guitar. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. It was this red guitar. I was like, wow, this is great. Well, after like four or five years, and everyone started getting Taylors and Martins. And, and I was like, man, this red guitar is just not doing it. But then I couldn't ask out of our need because I already had a guitar. So I remember when I, when I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I asked you for Gibson Songwriter. Because... I am a child of God. Your word says, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? God, I know, I know you've given me so much already. I already have a guitar, I know. 
But God, I simply ask you, because of my identity as your child. I pray just like that. Kid you not, one month later, I made a trip to the U.S. My friend was getting married. The day before we, he got married, we started looking through his guitars. He had like three or four guitars. He is, he is, he is making a lot of money. <laughs> and he takes one out, and then he's like, you got to try that one out. And I look at it, and guess what it is? It's a Gibson songwriter. I start playing this guitar, and I'm like, wow, this guitar is sweet. It sounds so warm, and yeah. And then uh, we left the apartment, and in the elevator, my friend Sam turns to me, and he's like, Chris, I noticed you like that guitar, that Gibson guitar back there. Hey, you want it? And I was like, no, come on, I, I, I can't do that. He's like, no, man, if you, if you want it, you can just take it. I was like, really? Let me, let me just give you, let me give you a little bit of money for it. I, I can pay you maybe like four or five hundred for it. He's like, man, don't, don't even try that. I don't even come close to the price of the guitar. Here, I'll just give it to you for free. Just take it. So I was like, really? And that same day, all right, I took that Gibson songwriter. And I'm playing it all night. And I still have it. Hallelujah. All right. And that was me getting a provision from the Lord based on my identity as a child. But you know how much more powerful it is when you can access your inheritance based on your identity as a co-heir? I mean, as a child, you get good things as you ask the father. But as a co-heir, you see, your, your co-heir identity has to do with your assignment has to do with your assignment. And so, if you look at the life of Jesus, there were all these graces that he needed to access for him to fulfill his assignment. For him to heal the sick. For him to walk on water. For him to feed the 5,000. For him to cast out demons. There were all these resources that he needed to access. Well, God wants you to access that inheritance as well because he's got an assignment on your life. And I tell people these kinds of testimonies and people go, whoa, I can't do that. I've received the eternal gift of salvation, everlasting life. I'm a no good sinner and I've received salvation already. I cannot ask God for anything more than just my needs. I should be content with just getting my needs met. And it sounds noble. It sounds humble. But it is not the Spirit of God. Let me spit the truth here. Need-driven faith it's self-centered. It's childish. It's for the immature. It's for the baby Christian. It's when you're starting out, you access the provision of God through presenting the needs that you have. There's nothing wrong with ever doing it in, in throughout your Christian life. But if that's the only thing you do, you're living a very self-centered life. Need-driven faith is self-centered. Inheritance accessing faith it's God honoring. Because you will glorify God in amazing, spectacular ways that you will never glorify God if you're just basing your faith on need. Need-driven spirituality only prays when there is a selfish need to be met. This is what happened to the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the Bible says in Luke 15, he went back to the father when he began to be in need. Up until that point, the prodigal son was partying it up, 
sexing it up, doing whatever he wanted to do, squandering all of his money. And the guess when he went back to the father? When he began to be in need. Now God's so gracious. If you come back to God like that, He doesn't despise you. He doesn't reject you. If you read the rest of the prodigal son, He embraces the son. So don't, if, you're, if you're backslidden, or you were backslidden, and you came back to the Lord because you went broke or something, and you, you were in need or something, and you, that's how you come back to the Lord, God doesn't despise that. God doesn't despise that. But look, if that becomes a pattern in your Christian walk, we have a problem. You're never going to fulfill your purpose. If all you do is go to God when you're in need, that's not a very uh, God-pleasing or God-honoring spirituality. A co-heir knows that he has access to everything the father has. So he does not go to the father when he's in need. He doesn't just go to the father when his resources run out. In fact, his main dependence are not upon his own resources, but they are always upon the Father's resources because he knows the Father's resources are bigger. So two people can get the same assignment. One person can use his own resources. The other person will tap into heaven's resources and will see a, a, a tremendous amount of fruit, incredible more amount of fruit. Hallelujah. So I'm, I'm, I have to wrap it up. I'm going to close with this. Hallelujah. Y'all want me to keep going? I'm going to try to wrap it up in five minutes right now. If y'all want me to keep going, I'll keep going. I'll give you a couple examples, right? If you you look at uh, David and Goliath. David and Goliath. When you see David approaching Goliath, David doesn't try to access the supernatural power he needs to defeat Goliath. David doesn't try to access that power through need. Think about it. When he was approaching Goliath, he wasn't like, Lord, I need your power. Lord, I need your help. Lord, help me. I need to defeat Goliath. He doesn't mention the word need at all. So this, uh, let me go, go there real quick. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. <coughs> uh, Goliath said to David, I'm going to kill you. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Gangster. In other words, David approaches Goliath not and it doesn't call on the Lord from the place of need David approaches Goliath from the place of his identity that's why he says I will do this I will cut off your head I will give the dead bodies of, of your armies to, to birds and beasts of the field David came against Goliath and he accessed the grace of of heaven, the power of God, he accessed that through his identity, not through his need. Uh, let me give you Elijah, same thing. When he confronts the prophets of Baal, Elijah does not say, Lord, I need you. I don't want to be embarrassed here. Lord, and all the people gathered. 
prophets of Baal just messed it all up. Now it's time for you to show. I need you to show up, God. I need you right now. I need you right now. It's Kanye West song, right? I need you right now. I need you, Lord. He doesn't say any of that. Elijah, very relaxed. He uses his identity to access the fire of heaven. And he calls down this fire and boom! All the altar gets lit up. And then out of his identity, he has this boldness to be like, go take the sword and kill all these prophets of Baal. Now you can't kill the prophets of Baal but based on need. We, we need, hey everybody, we need to kill these prophets. They're raising up idolatry in the land of a spreading occultic spirits. We need, to, we need to kill them. Come on everybody, we need to kill them. No. He went from his identity. I'm called, I'm anointed, I'm a prophet of the Lord. And I say right now, kill these prophets of Baal. Eliminate them right now from the land. And the people did it. Let me talk about Jesus. Jesus' ministry. He's feeding the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14. Look how Jesus does it. It's Jesus need driven. Lord, look at all these people. There are thousands and thousands of people. We only have two pieces of fish and five pieces of bread. God, there's a great need here, obviously. And we, I pray you will multiply this food so that we will, you will meet the needs of these people. Amen. Come on, everybody. Let's try this out. He doesn't mention need at all. He's not driven by need. He's not moved by need. He's not trying to move the resources of heaven with need at all. At all. At all. Because all he does is he gathers these pieces, looks up to heaven, says a blessing, and then says, give them out. Jesus access the resources of heaven to multiply the food using his identity. Is somebody picking this up right now? The key is not to get God to focus on the needs and try to like manipulate and convince God to, to meet the need. The key is you walk in your identity. You say, with this identity, I have legal right and access to an inheritance in heaven. And a very interesting, very interesting. In, in the feeding of the 5,000, the Bible says in Matthew 14, that there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Have you ever considered what that means? Why were there 12 baskets full of leftovers? Let me tell you something right now. If God was trying to simply meet the need, there would have been no leftovers. Because God would have saw the need, He would have calculated it and been like, oh, this is exactly how much you need. Here you go. Let me meet the need. No, that's not what happened. Because Jesus accessed heaven's resources through his identity. The reason why there were all these leftovers was, it was a reflection of the abundance of heaven's resources. Heaven was saying, there's always an abundant supply for those who access the resources of heaven. There's more than enough. God's not stingy in giving to you what you need to complete your assignment. I'm going to close with this analogy. Some of us, we go to restaurants. <clears throat> I remember when I was a college student, I would go to Olive Garden. Tell the truth, Olive Garden has amazing breadsticks. 
They're buttered up. That's good. It's good. So maybe Olive Garden is a bad example. But other restaurants, when the, bre- the bread is not so good, but you know, when, when, you, when you don't have any money, you try to get the lowest priced item on the menu, and then you try to fill up on bread and water, and on other people's food, if you're a freeloader. <laughs> and <clears throat> why do you do that? Because, because you have a need, you have hunger. Okay. And when you when you broke and you don't got no money, guess what you do? You got to try to meet that need. And so you don't care what kind of food you eat. You don't care if it's healthy or not. All you care is about getting that need met. So you fill up on the bread. You fill up on the water. And for a lot of Christians, that's how they, they, they do the Christian walk. They go around and they settle for just bread and water. The free bread and water that's there. They just settle for that. Because all they're, all they're obsessed about is just getting their needs met. And all they feel like they can access is just getting their needs met. They feel like they're broke. So I can't access anything else on the menu. So let me hurry up and let me eat the bread. Let me get more. Hey, more bread, please. More bread. <laughs> and you know the waitresses be getting all annoyed, man. Those cheap people asking for more bread. And then when they bring it out, sometimes they bring, bring out less bread. You ever notice that? Some of the waitresses in Korea, they do that. They're trying to t- take a, get a hint, you cheap people. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and what, what I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is, you're not broke. Somebody has paid for every item on the menu. Somebody has paid the full buffet and a beverage. So all you got to do is you get up and you access the food. All you do is get up and you tell the waitress, I want this and I want that and I want my tiramisu at the end. (laughs) The angels are like the waitresses, kind of. I don't know if that offends the angels. They're ministering spirits. They're there to assist us. But brothers and sisters, you see that? We get so easily content with just getting our needs met. And what I'm trying to say is, there's a whole menu full of nutritious, amazing food and resources you have access to. There's an amazing buffet table. God wants you to feast while you're on this earth. Not just barely nibble on the bread and the water and survive he wants you to feast he wants you to have dominion he wants you to be more than conquerors he wants you to represent him and when jesus walked on this earth he represented the father in a most glorious light by being victorious over the works of the enemy christ wants you to represent him in the same way but you got to get connected with your identity as a co-heir with christ in order to accomplish all the things god's called you to do Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, God. That through the death of your son, you have opened us up to access an incredible inheritance. An inheritance of salvation and everlasting life. It doesn't stop there. We also thank you for the gifts and the graces the resources of heaven that's made available to us, God, through the death 
of your son. We just thank you. We just thank you that, God, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. May everything that Christ demonstrated, authority, power, everything Christ had access to, the resources of heaven, God, I pray that we would also inherit that and exercise that and walk in that and experience that. And I just pray that in this room, every person, that they will experience the full expression of your purposes for their life. Father God, may we stop, may we stop eating at your table like we're broke. But rather, may we begin to feast like those who've, whose bill has been completely paid for. We just thank you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.